Before I ask you to rise as we read God's word, let us take just a moment and do just that. Let us be still and understand that he is our God. Amen. If you're able, please rise as we read God's word. From Zechariah 8, verses 1 to 17. Hear the reading of God's word. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain, thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of this city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For, but, for before those days there was no wage for man or wage for beast, Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor, but now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace, the vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations... O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all of these things I hate, declares the Lord. So far, the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for who you are and what you've done. I pray now that you would take your word and carry it to these people gathered here this day. May you mold and shape us to be more like Jesus Christ because of the truth that is found here in these words. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus who reigns forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. My husband died of a heart attack and my only son has disappeared. In my family, I am now the only woman left, says Allah Nicola Vena, I don't know how to say her name, I apologize. A blind woman living in the Ukrainian town, just a few miles from the front line. She cries, 
And she recalls the last time she hugged her son, Oleg, who had disappeared shortly after he had joined a military group. She says these words, When there's no heat, I put on all my clothes and pray. I have only one wish that my son hugs me yet one more time. Another woman says these words. It's hard to believe it's actually our neighbor doing this. Because we, knew, we never really believe that our neighbor can just come and just grab our land and tell us what to do. We are an independent country of Ukraine and we don't want to be a part of Russia or any other country. She said as she broke down in tears, I can't believe it's happening, really. The tears are real. The sorrow is unbearable, even unbelievable, as this one woman said on a television interview. The words are daunting, but the images are worse. I was watching the news the night before the now infamous attack took place. The image was, was a good one, actually. There was a news correspondent standing on a balcony. And in the background, it was overlooking the eastern part of, of the city, of Kiev. The lights were on. It was, the sun was beginning to go down. And just over his left shoulder, there was a, a church that was lit up for the whole world to see. It was a beautiful place, and yet the news correspondent was saying something may be happening. Something indeed happened. The next night, that same reporter was standing on the same balcony, except this time he wasn't wearing plain clothes. He had a helmet on, he had a flak jacket on, the lights were out. The sky was glowing red. The church was not lit up anymore. It was dark. It was quiet. War had come to Ukraine. The people of Ukraine awoke to a new world, one they did not believe could ever happen. And so words that ring through the tears of the young woman stranded in a subway station, I hope that someone will stand against Or maybe, is there anyone there? Is there anybody that can help? Does anyone care? Does God care? Does He really care about us? Or perhaps God is maybe one to sit back and watch as the world just destroys itself with missiles and bombs and tanks. The people of Israel know all too well this scene that we've seen play out on our televisions this week. For this is what Zechariah, this is what the context that Zechariah was writing in, right? They'd come back into a city that had been destroyed, was in rubble. They knew well the hurt and the pain that the women that I quoted in Ukraine know all too well. Their men had been killed in war just as their fathers, sons, brothers, grandfathers also had been. You see, the people of Israel knew what it meant to be under attack. They knew what it meant to have their city destroyed, their homes uprooted, for them to be carried away. They know what it meant to be frightened, full of fear and anxiety and worry. Does God care about us? Does God care about me? 
The scenes that we watch on television this week unfortunately have been playing out for millennia. As a result of sin and brokenness, we understand that war is as much of a reality as peace. And the people of Israel knew it, and the people of Ukraine know it now. The city that the people of Israel returned to had been ravaged not by missiles or rockets, but by trebuchets and catapults and flaming arrows. Does God really care? The answer is a resounding yes. God really does care. This is why we're going through Zechariah. To show us, to show the people of Israel, to show the people of the world that God does care. And to show us the lengths, the heights, and the depths that he goes to show us just how much he cares. Zechariah was written to the people of Israel to show them these things. It's written to us to show us these things. It's written for the people in Ukraine this morning to show them these things. For the people of Israel were not left in captivity, were they? Although their city was destroyed, they weren't left alone. They, they weren't left to die. But the Lord went in and He brought them out. The Lord has brought them back and He's asked them and commanded them to rebuild a temple, a city, a wall, to restore Zion. Zechariah 8 was written in order that the people of God who live in Ukraine will know the lengths of the Lord's care for them. Zechariah 8 was written in order that the people of God who live in the United States will understand the lengths of God's care for us. Here in chapter 8, it opens with a quote from the Lord, I am jealous for Zion. I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. This, friends, is the blessing of the Lord. This is what Zechariah is all about, that the Lord is jealous for his people, and he's going to show us just what that means and how far he goes to provide us with himself. But this verse is one of those verses that, be, that, that can be and is often misinterpreted many, many times over. For in our world, the word jealous is, is not a good word. It's even something that we might think, well, how, how can God be jealous? Isn't, isn't that something that God tells us that we shouldn't be is jealous? Right? He says, don't be jealous. Don't be envious. Don't be of all these things. But here God is saying, I am jealous. I'm jealous for a city, for a people, for individuals. And I will do so. And I am jealous with great wrath. How could this be? How, how could... God be righteous and jealous at the same time. How, how do we deal with this? I don't quite understand. Well, let me try to help us understand a little bit this morning what it means for God to be jealous for his people. To understand the word jealous. The word in Hebrew carries a bit of a, or a lot of different connotation than what we think of it here in modern English language or even in our culture and our context. Context. When we think of jealousy, we link it with envy, don't we? I'm jealous that you have a nicer car than me. I'm jealous that you have a nicer house than I do. You have a better job than I do. I'm jealous of your lifestyle, of who you are. I'm jealous of your personality, of 
we, this is how we think. We think in terms of jealousy as something that we don't have. We're envious of. This is what, how we link this word jealousy in our context. But in Old Testament biblical terms, the word jealous is not linked with envy or greed, but rather with zeal and passion. Completely different, but the same altogether at the very same time. So what is it saying, really? It's not saying that the Lord is envious for something that he doesn't have, like I want a new car or a new job. It's saying that the Lord is passionate for something that he already does have. That's his. And so his jealousy comes when the thing that he has, his people, wander and go astray and seek and search after something other than himself. And so what is he jealous about or he's passionate about? He's passionate about restoring that relationship, zealous to have this people, his people with him again. This is what the Lord is saying. So therefore the Lord is passionate, zealous for his people, especially as they wander, as we wander. The Lord is jealous to reestablish his covenants with his people to say that he will be their God and they will be his people. He's jealous and zealous to make that a reality, to make that come to fruition. This then is the passion and the mission of the Lord our God to be with his people, to restore us back to himself. This, after all, is what we've witnessed in the entirety of Zechariah to this point, right? We have witnessed how the Lord has been passionate, how he's been zealous and jealous to restore his kingdom, to restore his people, to restore a wall, a city, a temple, Zion. In Zechariah 8, we're given further explanation of this jealousy, of this zealousness, of the blessing of the Lord. We are told that we are blessed with the peace of of the Lord in verses 3 to 5. We're also told that we're blessed with, I'm sorry, we're, we're with His presence as well. The prophet's message is a reassuring one, a message of comfort. God is still passionate about His people. He's still passionate about the temple, the city, and His kingdom. God has not forgotten His first love He hasn't left them in Babylon, but rather he's pursued them and taken them back and taken them back into the city. God will return to Zion and he will, quote unquote, dwell in Jerusalem. Zion will again, quote unquote, become a holy mountain. The result is that the elderly will rest and watch the children play in the streets of the city. And this remnant thinks that this is incredible. But it's not beyond God to make that happen. And so it's these few verses here in Zechariah 8 that strike me acutely this week. As I watch the television scenes play out before me and before us, we see curfews in place and cities are darkened and there's not much energy or life because people are in terror and afraid. They can't go outside lest a bomb might strike them. certainly not a time for the elderly to sit on the porch or for the children to play in the streets. The people of Israel get it. The people of Ukraine get it. 
I hope this morning that we begin to get it as well. The blessing of the Lord means the Lord is present and he gives peace. The blessing of the Lord means that children will play in the streets and the elderly will sit on the front porch and the enemy will be defeated. What I want us to see this morning, and I don't mean to compare our situation to that of the people of Israel and certainly don't mean to compare our situation with what's happening on the other side of the world this morning. But what I do want to say is that the Lord promises to be present and near to the people of Israel as they rebuild a city from rubble. The Lord promises to be present and give peace to a people as they were in captivity for 70 years and now they're charged with restoring a city. If the Lord promises to to give peace and presence to a people in a war-torn city even this day and tonight as they go to bed in fear again, how much more? How much more is the Lord then present and give us peace in what we deal with on our lives here and now, today? On what we face, how much more does the Lord give us peace? How much more does the Lord offer us His presence? The prophet has much to say to Israel, to Ukraine, and to you and me this morning the first thing that I want us to see is that He will bless us with His presence. Look at the few ver- first few verses of chapter 8 again with me. In verse 3, the Lord says an astounding thing. He has returned. The Lord has returned to Zion and He will what? Dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. These words are echoes again from the promise that He made back in chapter 1, verse 16, where He said, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. It was this return that inspired the people then to, to begin the rebuilding of the city, the wall, the temple. But here and now, the temple is in process. It's a few, it's a few years later. They've made some progress, and the prophet is encouraging them again. The Lord is here. He's with you. Continue to do what you're doing. Rebuild the temple. He's encouraging the people with the blessing of His presence. This is their motivation. Because God is in the midst of you. Rebuild. Be strong. Be courageous. May your hands be strong. The point of these encouraging words is more than to simply say that the Lord is near or He has returned, but there's power in the presence of the Lord. And because the Lord has returned, the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the city, the rebuilding of the walls is not in question. It's going to happen. It will happen because the Lord is there. Psalm 46, which we've talked about this morning, in which Kevin sang for us during this offering, is a wonderful reminder of this very promise. Verse 5 of Psalm 46 says, and if you have your finger there, as I've asked you to, to have, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. In judgment, the Lord reproved the fathers of the people of Israel for their lack of trust. But now here we see that everything is turned around. Everything is restored. In verse 3 of Zechariah 8, we're told that the new city will be restored 
from being defined by the lack of trust to a city of truth. Because of the Lord's presence, a city that was once defined by the lack of trust, now because of the Lord's presence is defined by its trust and its truth. This is the power of the presence of the Lord. When the Lord dwells in the midst of people, it means restoration and completion of all things. John Calvin is quoted with these wonderful words in when he's commentating on these passages. I love this. God is never idle when He dwells in His people. God is never idle when He dwells in His people. He doesn't just indwell us and then sit with His hands crossed and say, okay, good. No, He's at work doing things in the lives of His people. Calvin goes on, for He cleanses away every kind of impurity, every kind of deceit, that where He dwells may ever be a holy place. Therefore, the prophet not only promises here an external blessing to the Jews, but also shows that God performs what is far more excellent, that he cleanses the place where he intends to dwell and the habitation which he chooses and casts out every kind of filth. There's power in the presence of the Lord. It's a time of terrible disaster, of heartache and heartbreak. In a time of confusion, what people around the world and what we have is the reality that God, when He dwells with His people, there's power. When He dwells with His people, He restores and He casts out evil. It doesn't exist where God dwells with His people. This is the hope that Israel had. This is the hope that Ukraine has. This is the hope that we have. Where God is, things change and are restored and evil is cast out. And then we move to verses 4 and 5. Returning to these wonderful words that I just touched on briefly, these wonderful and poignant verses that we read this morning that we see the next part of the Lord's blessing in our lives. The Lord blesses us with His presence. He also blesses us with His peace. He gives us His peace. And the wonderful, beautiful illustration that he provides to us in, this, in these few verses. Old men and women shall sit in the streets and the boys and the girls will be playing in the streets. This is not possible unless there's peace. This is not possible within a war-torn city. This is not possible during a siege You're not going to send your children out to play in the front yard when they very well may be hit by a flaming arrow or a missile. The Lord's peace is only possible when the threat of violence, war, and tragedy has been eliminated. So therefore, it's only possible when the presence of the Lord is in their midst to give them peace. Jerusalem at this time was undoubtedly not a safe place. It was not a place where the old and the young were able to enjoy the sunshine. There's an old country song by Randy Travis, and I'm not a big country music fan, nor am I a big Randy Travis fan, but for some reason, this old song was in my brain all week. Some of you know this song, you may even know where I'm going. But this old country music song, the chorus of forever and ever says these words. 
<laughs> Just bear with me. As long as old men sit and talk about the weather, some of you could continue, right? As long as old men sit and talk about the weather, as long as old women sit and talk about old men. If you wonder how long I'll be faithful, I'll be happy to tell you again, I'm going to love you forever and ever. Amen. It's a cheesy country song. I get it. But it says something a lot about peace and comfort and love. That's probably why it was such a great hit way back when. It's hard for us in Arlington, Texas to understand war-torn cities. It's hard for us to understand what Jerusalem must have been like in these days. It's hard for us to even understand what it's like in Kiev or Lviv because we're not there. All we can see is images on television. For us, fortunately or unfortunately, we can understand a grandfather and a grandmother sitting on a front porch drinking a glass of iced tea. And the image that that portrays is one of peace. One of comfort as they sit and talk about one another, about life in a warm summer afternoon. It doesn't happen when your front yard is bombed. It only happens when there's peace. And what Zechariah is saying is that only happens when the presence of the Lord gives you that peace. This is the image that we can tell of old men talking about the weather and old women talking about old men. In our world, we're pulled in so many different directions. Our our schedules are hectic and they're busy. Our emotions are hectic and busy. Our thoughts are hectic and busy. We are bombarded with information in ways and means that have never been imagined in the scope of human history. And it comes all the time, from every angle, every day. We worry and we wonder about everything. Each week there is something that we're supposed to be passionate about. Each day we're to take up a new cause. Each moment we're to protect what we think is right and true. It's an exhausting world to live in, 2022. I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I'm tired of the bombardment of things I'm supposed to be passionate about. I'm tired. And then war is thrown into the mix. Friends, this morning, may we lay aside the dividers. May we lay aside the next thing. May we we lie aside, lay aside the current thing. The current thing are things that we're supposed to be passionate about. We know what they are. 
Today, can we lay aside conversations about vaccines? About masks, if that's even still a conversation. Can we lay aside political agendas? If you want, you can pick them up at a later time. But for just a few moments here right now, lay them down. And may we be reminded about the frailty of human existence. That each and every one of us longs for the presence and the peace of the Lord to be ours. To be reminded that this is what the Lord promises us. That he gives us his presence and with that presence he gives us peace. Each and every one of us longs for the presence and the peace of the Lord. And this is what the Lord promises to his people. As he returns to us, as he dwells in the midst of us, to restore his people, to restore a kingdom, this then is the blessing of the Lord. And so along with laying aside all of these things, may we also grab a hold of what blessing is. We often measure blessing and success, how many people are in church, how much money do we have in the bank, how much money do I have in my own bank, what is my job, what is my career, what is all of these things, the, the, the financial and the material blessings. This is how we think of the blessing of the Lord, right? That the, the rich are more blessed than the poor because they have more stuff. We measure success in terms of final blessing. But blessing is ultimately found in the presence of the Lord and in his peace, his success is measured in spiritual prosperity and the indwelling of the Lord. These things are accomplished and fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's it. For without Christ, we're always seeking the next thing to be passionate about. Without Christ, we're always searching for the next cause to take up. Without Christ, we worry about the next thing and the next cause. Without Christ, we are anxious and worried about tomorrow. We're fearful what will happen to us, our kids, our grandkids. We're fearful for the next generation living in a world that we don't recognize. But with Jesus, something is different. This is what Zechariah 8 is saying to us. With the Lord, something is different. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus fulfills what Zechariah 8 is talking about. He fulfills it for us, for he is the one who was sent away into captivity. He is the one who was in captivity of hell. He was the one left on the rubble of the cross. And he is the one who rebuilt the temple in three days as he defeated sin and death and hell. This is what Zechariah longed for. This is what we have. In Romans 8, verse 9, we're told that the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
The Holy Spirit's indwelling then is the very epitome of what it means in Zechariah that the Lord will dwell in the midst of you. Meaning that this is the essential thing, or better yet, the essential person that we need in order to have the presence of God, in order to have the peace of God, we have the Holy Spirit and He's given to us. Paul's reference to the Spirit dwelling in you is the language of intimacy. This term that Paul uses is is at the root of that word, is the word for house. God the Spirit houses, lives, dwells everywhere because He's Spirit, but essentially and intimately and acutely with you. Just as a family dwells together in a home, so does the Holy Spirit dwell with us. One commentator puts it this way, He is in them as He is nowhere else. Think about that just for a second. The Lord is with you in ways that He is not with anybody else because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Just as God once dwelt in the temple and the tabernacle, He now is with you in a special way. He dwells nowhere else on the face of the earth like He does with us now. This reference to the Spirit that dwells in us is also the language not only of intimacy, but of constancy, as one person puts it. If you believed in Christ, the Holy Spirit does not merely come upon you or alongside you as He did in times of old. He dwells permanently within you. Jesus promised that He would send the Spirit to be with you forever. In simple terms, the Spirit is not merely a visitor to us, a vacationer in a bed and breakfast home, or even a temporary house guest. He's a resident. Whatever the address of your heart, one person puts, whatever the address of your heart may be, there's where the Holy Spirit lives. That then is the blessing of the Lord and the definition of His presence and His peace. That He is present with us and He gives us peace And it's actually Jesus who said it first. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to love you forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we give you thanks for who you are. That you've sent us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to give us your presence and your peace. And so, Lord, now as we come to this table, may that presence and that peace wash over us. Fill us with your grace and with your mercy this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.